Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been tricked? Ooh, I hate that when that happens. You ever been one of those things in the computer monitor where they say, watch the person on the bike real closely? And you're thinking something's going to happen, and you watch them. Then all of a sudden, this awful, skeletal figure goes, Rawr! You ever done, anyone done that? Seen that? Am I the only one? Scared me to death. I was tricked. I don't like being tricked, but hey, we like tricking people, don't we? Come on. Don't act so sanctimonious. I know. How many of you parents, how many of you parents ever gave your little two or three-year-old a little piece of lemon? Yeah. This is going to be so good. Oh, yeah. We just love to trick people, don't we? We don't like to be tricked, but we love to trick people. I can remember, sometimes I wonder that my wife is really still married to me. Do you know what I mean? I can remember when we just moved into our home, our first home, and it had a nice little kitchen and a little double sink and a little window right at the double sink, you know, where you could look out, watch the children play. One night, she was washing the dishes after supper, and I just had a brainstorm of an idea. I was going to put on this ugly old man mask. You know, the one with the guys all just distorted and they got a little bit of hair here. And I was going to pop up from that window. And I snuck outside and she's diligently doing the dishes. And that's exactly what I did. I crouched down. Then all of a sudden, oh, that was so funny. That was so funny. Until she sat me down. She let me know, Steve, it's not funny when you scare me. She had an eyeball-to-eyeball conversation with me. The truth is, we just don't like being tricked. And in fact, we would really think it was awful if, in the midst of tricking someone, trying to fool them, someone got hurt. Then it wouldn't be funny at all. In fact, tricks, when people get hurt or injured, all of a sudden, they're not so funny. You know, there are tricks that are played on us all the time that are more dangerous than we ever think. Proverbs talks about that. It says in 14.12, there is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Did you catch that verse that there is a way which seems right. It looks right. We might believe it's right because we have been deceived. We've been tricked into believing that it's right. But what is the outcome of it? The outcome is death. The outcome is death and that's not, that's not funny. The trick or deception to get you to make bad choices that will lead you to a bad outcome. God's given us free will. We have the ability to choose. But our choices, the choices that you and I make are determined by our beliefs. Most of you right now are sitting in what I would say are rather comfortable chairs. At some point, you came to that chair and you believed that chair 
what holds you up. You believed in the integrity of that chair. Then you made a choice to sit in that chair. At some point, you reached the point of no return. For me, it's getting higher and higher all the time. But at some point, you went down and there was no turning back. And that chair was going to hold you or not. And most of y'all seem like y'all have successfully uh, manipulated that little decision. Now, if the chair didn't hold you, you would have made a choice based upon a wrong belief. And people are making choices like that all the time. In life, we see this regularly. I mean, based upon your belief in a strong work ethic, you work hard, and most of the time you will have a good outcome. This doesn't always help happen, but it's generally the rule that right beliefs, you have a right belief in something, right? Then you'll make right choices based upon a belief that you sincerely believe, and there will be good outcomes. When you make a decision that's based upon truth, this isn't rocket science, okay? But when you make a decision that's based upon truth, that's based upon reality, what's really real, then you'll make good choices and you'll have good outcomes. However, wrong beliefs lead to wrong choices, which lead to, lead to bad outcomes. Now, we've all made wrong choices, haven't we? We've all experienced bad outcomes. We've all made the decision. We thought we could get away with it to not study for a test. And what happens? We fail. We've all made the decision that eight miles over the speed limit is safe. And we've gotten a ticket. We all have made these decisions and we've all experienced the outcomes. We see these all the time. But the one thing that hurts more than anything else is when we come to the point of a tragic belief that leads to a tragic choice that leads to a tragic outcome. Some stories that that I found that are just absolutely incredible, heart-wrenching really. A man who's successful businessman, listen to his words. He says, I'm 34 years old. I have a lovely family, a good job. And I did have a bright future until Friday night. I was arrested for drunk driving. I've been over at the France for the evening, having dropped my car off on the way just around the corner from my house, not far, and was given a lift as I fancied I'd have a few beers when I got there. When I was dropped back later in the evening, the temptation and my clouded judgment stupidly got the better of me as I walked back toward my house, and instead of walking, I jumped into the car and drove the short distance back. No more than 30 seconds. As I entered the driveway to the rear car park, I drove past a police car coming out of the opposite car park. I parked up, and as I walked to my front door, I was stopped, questioned, breathalyzed, and blew a 91. The next part's pretty obvious, really. I was locked up for the darkest and most distressing 10 hours of my life and was later released after police interview. As it stands now, I will be in front of the magistrate on the 8th of May. I'll obviously lose my company car, and I expect my job will go too. My wife is at her wit's end with me, but remains as positive as she can and will support me through this. But listen to this final paragraph. He says, I'm a complete idiot. 
I hate myself. I've had moments of wishing I was dead, but I know that's just more selfishness than not something I would actually do. Emotions are hitting me in ways. One minute I'm feeling strong and I can see what I have to focus on, the things I can do and, and be proactive about. And the next I'm fighting back the fears and trembling. He had a false sense of safety. He thought I was just safe, just 30 seconds, no big deal. Tragic belief, tragic choice, tragic outcome. Another man who, taking ecstasy, he had taken it before, thought it was no big deal. Going to a uh, band gig that he uh, liked the band, he woke up one month later in the hospital. The ambulance took him to the emergency room. His brain had heated up to 41 degrees because of a toxic reaction. He could no longer stand, could not recognize sounds. The friend told him that a consultant said, you can take ecstasy a hundred times and suffer no ill effects, or you could take it only once and that would be it. Listen to his words. I was sure my situation was a cruel practical joke and kept waiting for someone to say they could cure me with a quick injection however I quickly got used to the routine up at 8 a.m. compulsory shower then nothing but endless therapy sessions physiotherapy speech and language therapy psychotherapy when I woke up and realized it would be another day of not walking another day of hearing the sound of my life being flushed down the toilet and what made it unbearable was that it was my hand that had pressed the flush He had a false sense of indestructibility. It wouldn't hurt him. But you say, I, I don't drink, I don't do drugs. I, what kind of tragic solutions, what kind of tragic actions could I take? What tragic choices could I make? Well, let me tell you one that, that might ring a bell with you. A documentary by Warner Herzog on, on texting and driving shows the horrible impact of wrong choices. He tells the story of Chandler Gerber, a young married man. He had a daughter on the way. He was heading to work on a long stretch of road in the back roads of Indiana. He says, I was texting back and forth with my wife. I saw a text. Then the windshield broke and a horrible crash. When I was able to finally stop, a body rolled off the top of my pan. It was, when I opened the door, it was totally silent. I saw the mother laying down on the ground. There was no movement. The police, they said when they got there, he was devastated, crying and sobbing. He says, I saw a hearse drive by and I knew there was at least one dead person. And it turns out a three-year-old, a five-year-old, five-year-old and a 17-year-old died. I felt like it was just a dream. And for weeks it did. I would wake up and ask, did I dream that accident? This couldn't happen to me. This couldn't be real. I love you. Was the last text message I sent before I caused an accident that killed three people. Why did this happen? He says, 
I wish so bad I could go back to that day and change my focus. I wish I could go back. But folks, he cannot go back. Tragic beliefs. He had a false sense of immunity. The rules don't apply to him. I can do it. Others may not, but I can do it. And he may have had a tragic belief that led to a tragic choice that had a tragic outcome. This is not a sermon on texting and driving, but it is a sermon on choices. It has been said that every day is election day. For throughout every hour of every day, we each exercise our right of choice. We don't have to have a local or national election in order to elect or to vote. A man's election can determine the deciding vote for or against his success. You elect to gain a thorough knowledge of your business or you don't. You elect to be honest or you don't. You elect to save a part of what you earn or you don't. You elect to always do your best or you don't. And by your own election, you will be defeated or you will succeed. Albert Camus said, our lives are in fact the sum product of our choices. And I think we can easily see the truth of this. We can see the truth of this in those three horrible tragedies. But let me can I tell you, there's a tragedy worse than those. The one in which eternity becomes a tragic outcome. Because eternity, as the definition would say, is forever. It never stops. It goes on minute by minute by minute from one second to the next. And we are all rapidly becoming what we are choosing to be for all eternity. I mean, we could all logically think that if my life was totally messed up here for whatever reason, but it was good for all eternity, that that would be okay, right? Even if it was tragic here, if for all eternity it was okay, then that would be good. But if our eternity is messed up, listen to me, if our eternity is messed up, it doesn't matter about your life here. I don't care if you're the wealthiest person on this earth. It doesn't matter. If your eternity is not right, that is the greatest tragedy. And I want to be very clear on this. Our eternity is the full value of one choice. It's not the sum of choices. It's the full value of one choice. The choice to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ and put our faith in him, to choose the forgiveness and the salvation that he offers. The greatest tragedy is to believe a lie that leads you to make a tragic choice and the tragic outcome that you end up in the wasteland of an eternity without Christ and only with your eternal regrets as your companion. You see, our choices are determined by our beliefs. You notice in this scripture that we saw, there is a way that seems right. It seems right, but it's not right. And we've seen the tragedies of wrong beliefs that led to some tragic choices and tragic outcomes. But when we consider the tragedy for eternity is exceedingly horrible. 
The three examples we looked at all had to do with earthly tragedy, but I want to show you some eternal tragedies. Three people in the Bible. Three people who had wrong beliefs, and they led to tragic choices that led to the most horrible and tragic outcome. The first one I want us to look at is in Luke 16. This is a story that Jesus told. Some consider it a parable. I don't know. Most of the parables that Jesus tells, he doesn't use a proper name. You know, he always says like a farmer went out to sow or, or a merchant went out to buy a great pearl. He doesn't use names. In this one, this story, he used a personal name. So, people, so many people believe that it's not a parable. But one thing I do know is that Jesus does a, a great benefit for every one of us as he, as he pulls back, as he pulls back the curtain of eternity and lets us peek in. And what we see is real tragedy. Why does Jesus tell us this story when we look at this story? Why does he tell us? Because he wants you to know the truth. He wants you to have the right belief, the correct belief, so you can make the right choice. So this is how this real-life story goes. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. Now, first of all, I want you to know, if we came upon this scene while both were still alive and we walked up and we saw the mansion and we saw poor Lazarus there, we would think the tragedy really belonged to Lazarus, wouldn't we? I mean, if you saw that, if you're a believer, you know, and, and have a heart of mercy, you'd want to give him something to eat, you know, give him some, some medical care. He had sores. Um, call animal control so the dogs won't come and lick him. We would have done all these things to help poor Lazarus, but in reality, that wasn't the real tragedy, was it? Certainly, he was undergoing some tragic circumstances, but the real tragedy was in the house, in the mansion, the rich man. That was the tragedy. He had a tragic belief that led to a tragic choice and a tragic outcome. The rich man is, quite honestly, during this time, heading towards the abyss so fast. But because he's headed there in Alexis, we think he's okay. But Jesus lets us take a look at reality. He begins with their death. That's really the great equalizer, isn't it? We all die. Lazarus, when he dies, is carried by the angels to paradise with Abraham, the father of faith. And then this horrible, tragic phrase. The rich man closed his eyes on this earth 
and opened them in Hades. How many times this scene has played out in the history of mankind? How many, how many this very day, today, will close their eyes on this earth and open them to an eternal horror? Jesus tells us the rich man was in torment. He was in agony. He was in flames. So what led to this horrible outcome? He didn't believe. His beliefs were messed up. He had Moses and the prophets. Jesus says that. But he did not listen. He did not repent. Why didn't he? Well, because I believe he had a false sense of sufficiency. Let me look at his life. First, he was, he was rich, but so was Abraham. Joseph of Arimathea, Barnabas, all men in the Bible that were rich, but yet were believers. The problem is not that he had money, but it was how he viewed wealth. He was not just rich, but he was filthy rich. I mean, he was the Hebrew GQ man of the year. He wore purple, guys. Purple. If you wear purple back in those days, you were like it, okay? I mean, purple was hard to get. And when you're putting on purple, you were showing that you are the man. And he was wearing purple every day, living in splendor. And we would have thought, surely this man has it all together. He felt he had no need. He could not see beyond his wealth to the eternal need that he had. While Moses and the prophets, they all spoke of humanity's need because of our sin, he made a choice to ignore it. His choice was to ignore. He let the distractions of the world keep him from making the correct choice. Now, most of you know that if you live here in America, you're wealthy. Now, you may not think you are, but let me tell you, you are. You travel to Asia and Africa, you'll see real poverty. And those folks would say, you're wealthy. But again, it's not our wealth that is the problem. It is ignoring that we have a need for a Savior. So many, so many people, so many people who come to church think they're okay because I hadn't murdered anybody. I hadn't robbed a bank as if that was the qualification to get into heaven. You hadn't robbed a bank. But the fact is, Jesus says, be you perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the standard. Are you meeting that one? So many think they're okay, and even compared to the world, they may actually look pretty good. This person looks at the violence and perversion in the world, and they feel they're doing pretty good. They take care of themselves. You may be here this morning and think, man, church is good. It's good for the kids. I'm glad our kids have church. It teaches them morals. And it's good for the weak because they don't know how to lead their lives, and for the helpless because they need help. If that is how you think, then you are so totally deceived. Because the truth is, we're all weak. We're all helpless. We all need a Savior. God is not going to be impressed one bit with your degrees, your wealth, or your leadership. None of it. He's impressed with his son. And if you don't have him, then you have nothing. You are making a tragic choice. The rich man made a tragic choice. To think of it. The truth of this story, to think of it. Closing your eyes on this earth and your next view is the very bowels of hell. 
And then to realize the tragic choice that you made. And for the believer, it's something totally different. The believer, it's to be absent from the visor, be present with the Lord. Imagine that one. Imagine, as awful as it is, this young boy, Lewis. Imagine when he closed his eyes on this earth, his next view was his Savior, Jesus Christ. He was able to see his glory. He was able to see those nail-pierced hands, those nail-pierced feet, and he was able to fall down and worship him. What an awesome thought. But compare that to the tragic outcome of the rich man who opened his eyes not to that, but to an eternity of anguish and regret. Well, we have another tragic portrait, and that's the portrait of King Agrippa. King Agrippa was a very influential person. I believe he's a smart individual. He was a king. He came from the Herodian dynasty, so he had a lot of um, background and leadership. Uh, And he came to Caesarea one day, and Paul was in prison, and they wanted him to hear Paul's case. And so he had the unbelievable privilege of this. Get this, the greatest evangelist in the world, greatest one in the world, shared the gospel with King Agrippa. Shared the testimony of his life. Shared how the gospel changed his life. And shared the, how the gospel could change King Agrippa's life. And Agrippa had some knowledge. I mean, it's, Paul even said, when we read this, that uh, Agrippa was an expert in all the customs and questions among the Jews. That Agrippa knew about Jesus and his death and resurrection. And that Agrippa believed the prophets. So Agrippa, who was mostly Jewish, heard the story of the Messiah. He heard about the hope of Israel and how Jesus, the Messiah, had saved Paul. And how he could be saved. But listen to Agrippa's words after listening to Paul in Acts 26. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost, almost persuade me to become a Christian. I'm close. I understand what you're saying. Now I'm tracking with you. There's a lot of things I have to consider. I'm just not ready right now. Agrippa had a false sense of time. He had a false sense of Maybe tomorrow I can make this decision. Not right now. Not while everyone's looking. Not while all the other leaders are around here. I'll make it later. The psalmist says, Lord, make me to know my end and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. Behold, you have made my days as handbreadths. And my lifetime is nothing in your sight. Surely every man is at his best A mere breath. He had a false belief that he could wait, and so his choice was to wait. As far as we know, he never made a decision to surrender to Christ. The last we hear of Agrippa, he was with the general Titus. When Titus was destroying Jerusalem, tearing down the temple, and killing his own people. That's why the Bible tells us not to wait. The Bible says today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. Do not wait. Joshua, when speaking to the children of Israel, did not say, choose you next year whom you will serve. He said, choose you today who you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Hell is filled with people, filled with them, 
who thought they had more time. But the scripture tells us, don't boast about tomorrow. You don't even know what a day will bring forth. Agrippa closed his eyes on this earth and opened them in Hades. And I can only imagine the regret as he looks back to that time when he was with Paul. And those words still ring in his ears. Almost. Almost. A tragic outcome. But I tell you, this third story is the one that probably frightens me the most, and that is the third portrait of tragedy, Judas Iscariot. Now, here was someone who was around Jesus all the time. I mean, that's what scares me. Three and a half years, he was around Jesus. He served Jesus. He's one of those who went two by two into the villages to prepare the way for Jesus. He was in the club. Man, he was there. He walked with Jesus. He ate with Jesus. He listened to Jesus. He had his feet washed by Jesus. He saw the miracles. I mean, if anyone is going to heaven, it would be him and the other 11, wouldn't it? The scripture instead says about Judas that it would have been better if he had not been born at all. He's not called a son of God in the Bible. He is called the son of perdition, the son of hell. Why would Judas for three and a half years just not leave if he didn't believe? Is it possible that he thought he was okay? Just simply because he was there? Because he was in attendance? Is it possible that he had a false sense of security? Because that's what I think he had. I think he was saying, man, I'm, I'm in the club, dude. I'm here. This is what causes me to truly fear because how many church members, I want you to think, not about the person next to you, I want you to think about yourself. How many church members are in this exact situation? Have not I attended faithfully? I've done all the stuff. I attended worship. I've been baptized. I attended life groups. I've given money. But here's the difference. There was no life change. When Christ captures your life, your life is changed. He didn't just give you fire insurance. He changes you. He makes you a child of his. And you're different. And if you can look in the mirror and see very little difference between you and the rest of the world, I promise you, you have not been saved. Because Jesus will change you. He had not changed, so what did he do? He made a choice. His choice was to pretend. And he was pretty good at it. I mean, look at this verse that we have here. This was... This was the time when Mary, who was the sister of Martha, came and anointed Jesus' feet. And Jesus said she anointed him for his burial. And she used some uh, alabaster vial of perfume that was very expensive. One year salary. Think about that. One year of your salary. That's what it cost. Boom. She just laid it all out there for Jesus. Okay? So get the context of this. And then Judas says this. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? Now, didn't that just sound beautiful? Now, he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. He did a great job. If you go back and read that same passage in the Gospel of Mark, you know what it says? It says, Some of them said... That they 
agreed with this. In other words, Judas Iscariot said, but some of the disciples were agreeing with him according to the gospel of Mark. He was a great pretender. No one could tell. And they lived with him. In fact, remember when Jesus said at the Last Supper that one of you is going to betray me? Do you remember that story? If not, go back and read it. He says, one of you is going to betray me. And what did the disciples say? Not one of them said, Judas, obviously. <laughs> they had no clue. It's like, that some of them had thought, could it be me? Could it be I be the one that, that's going to betray you? But in fact, Jesus had to point him out. How many, how many in our churches are pretending? I would tell you, it's more than what we think. How can I say this? Well, look at the church in America. Look at our society. Is our church, our churches having the impact that they should be having? I mean, guys, we have the gospel. The gospel that changes lives. And the Bible says that the gospel is, in fact, the very power of God. We've got the gospel. But does it look like the very power of God is being manifested in society today? And I say, why not? It's not the lost people's fault. Anyone who's unsaved and lost are going to act that way. Let me tell you, it comes down to the church. And people in the church who are pretending. So many church members, so many church members have not shared the gospel with even one person outside their family. Not even one. Can you possibly be saved when you don't tell the greatest story in the universe that will transform lives and families and, and keep a tragic outcome from occurring? I mean, we have it easier than Judas when it comes to pretending, don't we? I mean, Judas had to pretend all the time. We had one Sunday morning, one day out of the week, one morning out of the week. But when Christ has you, I want you to hear this. When Christ has you, it is seven days a week, 24 hours a day. You're living for him. Now, I'm not saying you're perfect, but he's your Lord. And you've changed and you want to serve him. If you don't care about serving him, could it be that you're pretending? That's all I'm asking. Bill Bright, who's the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, said this. Our survey suggests that over 50% of the 100 million people in church here in the United States every Sunday are not sure of their salvation. Was there ever a time that you laid it all down before Jesus? You gave him your life and you gave him everything. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking a prayer that costs you nothing. I'm not talking about being baptized. I'm not talking about serving in the preschool ministry. I am talking about an all-in commitment. I'm talking about falling down before the King of Kings. And the Lord of lords and saying, woe is me for I am undone. My sin has undone me and I need you. 
I have seen your holiness. I've seen my sin. And I cast myself before you and plead for your mercy and forgiveness. Have you done that? I'm talking about the cross. And I'm not talking about the cross around your neck. I'm talking about the cross on which the Prince of Glory died. Have you looked at the cross? The cross is forever said to you. Jesus has said to you through the cross, I love you and I want a relationship with you. He gave it all. He gave it all to have you. And how have you responded? A simple prayer with no life change. A simple prayer with no life change cannot possibly mean salvation. However, a prayer where you give yourself to God, He will change you. And here's the truth. I believe, I believe that most of you, most of you know it. Some of you are unsure, but most of you know it whether you are saved or not. Have you ever been changed? If He has captured you, then you will be changed. That kind of love that he has will change you. Religion won't change you. But looking at the cross, looking at the cross, seeing Jesus cry out, seeing blood pouring from his body, seeing the love of his own words, Father, forgive them, that will change you. There is only one way to eternal life to true hope and purpose. And Jesus let us know that. Our world right now lies in the power of sin. We see turmoil. We see rebellion. We see violence all around us. Many of us carry around the guilt and shame of our sin. And the fallout of our sin is catastrophic. Tragic. We are separated from God. We are separated from Him because of that sin. But the same love that caused God to create this earth so he could have fellowship with us was the same love that sent Jesus to the cross to die for us. He gave up his life as a perfect sacrifice to pay the penalty for your sin. He died a perfect death. The innocent for the guilty. They took his body from that cross that lifeless body and they put that body in a tomb but listen to me death could not hold him three days later Jesus Christ the son of God rose from that tomb and he is alive today he is seated at the right hand of God the father and one day he's coming back and he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth where there's no more agony there's no more pain there's no more tears and I don't want you to miss that today today is the day of salvation Today, this moment is the day of your deliverance. Admit your need for God's rescue. Asking forgiveness for your sin. Trusting in Jesus alone to rescue you. Surrendering yourself 
completely. All that you are, all that you have, you say, I lay it down at your feet, Jesus, and I surrender it to you and follow him in faith from this moment on. Moses gave a closing charge to the children of Israel that I want to give to you. Look at these words. Moses says, today I have given you the choice, the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. And now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, oh, that you would choose life. I'd like, if you would, every head bowed, every eye closed right now. Right now, it's just you and God. You're dealing with him. You're before him right now. Ask, God, am I pretending? God, am I saved? Have I surrendered completely to your Lordship and put my faith and trust in you? This morning, if you're not sure, if you're not sure or you're saying, no, today I know. I want, I want to, I want to receive the life and the forgiveness that Jesus has for me. Then I want you to raise your hand. No one's looking around, but I want to, you to raise your hand. So that we can get that right this morning. So if that's you, just raise your hand up in the air where I can see it. Anybody, anywhere. Okay, then. Everyone here, this morning, you can look at me. As heaven and earth have witnessed, and God has witnessed, you have said, I know that when I close my eyes on this earth, I'm going to open them before a Savior. But here's the thing. You know the tragic outcome. The word was clear. Jesus was clear. Of those who don't put their faith and hope in Christ. Will you share this story? Will you share the story of what Jesus has done in your life? Will you do that this week? So that others don't have to experience what Judas, what King Agrippa, what that rich man experienced. Because Jesus came here to share the truth. To share the right beliefs. So that we would make the right choices. And experience uh, the wonderful outcome.